Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. Today, I want to talk about a very abstract idea, which is your mindset as a writer and how that is expressed in a very concrete way, uh, which is through the format of your manuscript. Uh, so it's a very specific and small and very paperworky, concrete thing I want to talk about, but also at the same time, this larger mindset idea. And I'm not going to go through you know, all the details about how to format your manuscript properly. Uh, I'm just going to go through something more important fundamentally, uh, which is the idea behind formatting your manuscript a certain way. Uh, so I know that sounds very abstract, but I am going to, though, at a certain point, uh, very quickly, actually, uh, tell you exactly where you can find the precise information you need to format a manuscript properly. Um, but I'm going to get there in a kind of convoluted manner, which I think um, will be really useful and interesting to you. The very core fundamental things that you need to know as a writer, or even just as any artistic professional, um, revolve around a mindset. Uh, and I, I often see people make these mistakes of mindset when they're trying to get at some really specific thing, like a very professional industry standard sort of idea like a manuscript format. So uh, I'm calling this your manuscript format reveals your mindset uh, for a few reasons. Um, now you can read uh, all of this in a bit more depth or detail if you want at the show notes uh, on jonathanball.com slash 21, uh, the number 21, jonathanball.com slash 21. Uh, that'll take you to the show notes for this episode, which is uh, sort of an essay that I'm going to you know, run through the points of here. Um, I was first sort of thinking this uh, when I ran across a comment uh, that somebody had left on a post the other day. Not one of my posts, but I was you know elsewhere on the internet. Uh, and I found a comment. I Sometimes I just, you know, I, I know they say don't read the comments, but of course sometimes we can't help ourselves, right? Um, anyway, I ran across this comment by a writer called Old Marathon Runner. <laughs> and um, uh, Old Marathon Runner had a very particular complaint slash question. So the post in question, you, you can go see the link uh, to this original post and his comment and everything um, at the show notes. Again, if you go to jonathanmull.com slash 21, you'll get you know the links to all this information and a bit more detail about what I'm talking about here. The thing that I thought after seeing this person's post was here he has a series of questions that he's kind of asking bitterly and in anger. Um, but I think they are real questions and they have a weird sort of status where on one hand they're not worth answering and on the other hand they are worth answering. So I want to kind of talk around this set of questions that I often see connecting together. Uh, the thing that just sort of prefaces this uh, that I want to say is, as a writer, what matters more than your talent, even more than your hard work, is your mindset 
You need all three of those things. And it actually goes in reverse order of importance. The mindset is the most important thing. Your hard work is the next most important thing. Your talent, if you have any, uh, is optional and nice, but is the least important thing. Uh, and sometimes you'll see this discussion of like a professional writer versus an amateur writer. Um, professionals and amateurs, what differentiates the two? Well, uh, let's just assume there is a differentiation first off. I'll get later to kind of a little bit about what differentiates the two and whether really there is a clear differentiation. Um, Let's just assume there is for a second. Professionals can smell amateurs coming uh, hundreds of miles away uh, because of this mindset issue. Uh, and if we look very, very closely at this internet comment I found, uh, we can see, I think, some very complex, but in some ways very simple examples of how this difference between a professional and an amateur plays out. Um, the really simple, concrete, you know, ground level way this works is in manuscript formatting. So now, before we kind of wrap back around to this idea, let's come to this comment. I ran across this comment in a post the other day, and I think it's worth examining in great detail. Because I see variations of this uh, kind of comment throughout the internet, and I hear versions of it when I talk to people sometimes. Uh, so I'm going to read to you the comment in full. Okay, so uh, this was a post, by the way, about uh, a book. There was a post publicizing this book uh, called Formatting and Submitting Your Manuscripts. So this is a book by Writer's Digest Books uh, written by Chuck Sambucchino uh, and the editors of Writer's Digest Books. And so it's called Formatting and Submitting Your Manuscript. It's a third edition. I've got, I'm holding in my hand right here. I have a copy of this book. Um, so I was looking at, I was trying to remember the title of the book because uh, somebody had asked me about it, but I wasn't at home and I didn't have the book on hand. So I was Googling it because I remember the guy's name and I was like, I Googled it and I found the book link and I was going to send it off to this person. And then I read this comment and uh, here's the comment. This is by Old Marathon Runner. It seems that publishers are more, so again, I'm quoting now, quote, it seems that publishers are more concerned with throwing out submissions than they are with reading them. How many great successful novels have been refused on numerous occasions? Why are they called professionals when so many are incapable of doing the job? How is a newbie supposed to choose the correct format of a novel manuscript when so many people who are published authors contradict each other? From correct type font to positioning of details on the title page, one can find different suggestions. Above all, we are exhorted not to look like amateurs. What a joke that is. End quote. So that's the bitter comment very of a type uh, of a kind of comment that you see on the internet around writing and it's very much coming from this frustration that i think a lot of writers have that they they feel a difference between themselves and a professional published author and they don't quite understand what that difference is exactly they can look at things like a manuscript format they don't necessarily know you know you're not born knowing how to format a manuscript so they're trying to look it up they're trying to get the information um, and yet they see all this contradictory information and it becomes very much uh, it starts to feel to them like there's an interior and an exterior to the publishing industry. People are on the inside, uh, they are on the outside, they have to break through to the inside. Now, um, I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Um, if you go back to listen to my interviews uh, with GMB Kamichik, uh, you'll 
which I'll link to in the show notes to this episode because I can't remember the numbers precisely right now. But if you go back, we talk a little bit about this idea of you know breaking into the industry um, and kind of how it, it, there's a falsity to it. But I think this is a very common attitude. Many authors and publishing professionals will get a question like this uh, in person, some sort of bitter, angry question, and they'll dismiss this kind of bitter question, or this bitter comment, as the mark of an amateur. The weird irony here is this person is trying to break out from being an amateur, break into becoming a professional, um, but their question indicates that they are an amateur, so they don't get the help from the professionals uh, because they're being dismissed. You know, their, their question is not worth a real response. Now, when a professional th- hears a comment or a question like this and thinks that's not worth a response, and they just kind of get off it and get onto a new topic, and they run away. <laughs> On one sense, they're right. Uh, this author, whoever wrote this comment, old marathon runner, I'm going to say he because even though it's an anonymous comment, obviously it's a he. I've known, and you probably too, have met so many writers like this. They're always men that have, say things like this. Women probably think it a bit more than men, but they don't say it as much. But anyways, gender issues aside, uh, privilege aside, old marathon runner, we're going to say he. Uh, I can tell reading this comment, and this is going to sound harsh, and this is going to sound uh, very cocky, in a certain way, but it is, I'm not trying to be like harsh necessarily, but I just want, I'm trying to tell you the truth. Old Marathon Runner, the guy who wrote this comment, he will never make it as a writer. I can say that with absolute certainty. He does not have the attitude that is necessary to succeed as a writer. He's too fixated on the results and not on the process. When you're fixated on the results and not the process like that, um, you just will not succeed. You might have temporary success, but you have the wrong fixations. You will fail because you have the wrong fixations. Um, you might have some temporary success, but he can't. He doesn't display the temperament needed for the long term. Uh, you know, unless of course he does change his attitude, or this is just a little lapse in the moment. Uh, I don't know if you can teach an old marathon runner new tricks, but if he's reading this or listening to this. You know, reading the post or listening to this, uh, I suppose you know his future comments are going to tell the tale about whether or not he's actually you know has managed to shift his attitude and change his mindset. So on one hand, a question like that, it's right to dismiss. That person cannot um, understand the answer. They're asking from a place uh, that in which the question reveals their inability to understand the answer. Now I'll get to that a little bit later, uh, more fully. But at the same time, I want to acknowledge, like, he does have a real point. It is a real question that is really worth answering. It's just that nobody's going to answer it when you ask it like that. So I'm going to answer it, even though I haven't been asked. Um, So forgive the imposition, old marathon runner, but I'm going to answer your question. And you may not like the answer, but this is the honest answer to the question that everybody else is going to ignore. If you said these words to publishing professional, if you said that comment out loud, uh, they would roll their eyes, they would get the hell out of there, because the question reveals that the asker cannot handle the answer. But these questions are real questions, they're worth answering. Uh, so I'm just going to break each part of the question apart, and then I'm going to answer that part. So the first part, uh, he writes, quote, It seems that publishers are more concerned with throwing out submissions than they are with reading them. End quote. This is absolutely true. However, it is for one very simple and very good reason. 
publishers receive an incredible amount of submissions, and almost every submission a publisher receives is unpublishable. Let me repeat that. Almost every submission a publisher receives is unpublishable, completely and utterly unpublishable. Sometimes authors know how bad their submissions are and even say so in their cover letters. I once received a cover letter. I used to run a magazine called Dandelion. Um, I ran some other you know, publications, but when I was running Dandelion, I once received a cover letter that began like this. Quote, probably you won't want to publish this because it is really terribly written, but here you go anyway. End quote. I'm not joking. That was the actual opening sentence of the cover letter. Now, the thing that he was submitting, the author who wrote that cover letter was submitting, uh, handwritten, he wrote it while he was high. He wrote his, he noted that in the cover letter that he wrote this while he was high. He hand wrote it in a nearly illegible scrawl on a crumpled up piece of paper that he had is just lined paper torn out of a notebook. And this is what he submitted to me. It was called The Hounds of Hell. And these were the first two lines. I still remember the first two lines of The Hounds of Hell. The hounds of hell are on my trail. They are hunting me and chasing me beyond the veil. And he spelled it uh, veil like valley or, 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 but not like veil like it's supposed to be in like the Beers reference. I don't think you would understand that it's Beers reference, but it was. Anyway, that's pretty typical. If a publisher receives a thousand submissions, and they do receive thousands of submissions every year, often every month, sometimes every week, depending on how big that publication is, uh, the editor's first job for practical reasons, sometimes a lackey uh, if they're big enough, but the first job is to eliminate at least 900 of them, if not more, hopefully more. Uh, there's just no way to manage the material. You can't manage that much material. You have to eliminate it. If you can eliminate the submissions unread, that's even better. The sad truth that most authors refuse to face is this. A good editor, and I want to make this clear, a good editor, not a bad one, a good one, can tell within one page or one paragraph sometimes one sentence, whether or not the submission is worth reading. And a good editor will stop reading as soon as they realize it. Realize it. So after one sentence, a good editor, a really good editor, could read one sentence of your submission and know should they throw it away. And will throw it away. A bad editor will give everyone a chance. A bad editor will read through to the end, no matter how poorly it starts. A bad editor, as a consequence, will get nothing done, will hopefully be fired because they're incompetent. These are the truly incompetent editors, the ones who give everybody a chance and who read everything front to back. The good editor eliminates almost everything immediately, as fast as possible, doesn't read almost anything it's, that they're sent. A good editor. And then the good editor spends time only with the publishable possibly worthwhile to read work, then rejects most of that. Let's look at the second part of Vladimir Thomas' question. Quote, how many great successful novels have been refused on numerous occasions? Why are they called professionals when so many are incapable of doing the job? End quote. Now, this is kind of related to the previous point. And this is a question I hear versions of a lot. You know, often I overhear versions of it because people don't ask me stuff like that, right? 
Um, but the answer kind of depends on how you define terms. How do you define numerous occasions? How do you define the job? Most would-be authors misunderstand these things. So, for example, due to how the editorial process works, almost every manuscript, whether it is good or not good, will be refused publication on numerous occasions. So one answer, uh, in a sense, to the question is, almost every great and successful novel was refused on numerous occasions, yes. But the mistake lurking here is to think that it is in any way significant or remarkable whether or not a manuscript was rejected on numerous occasions. Much of the time, rejections occur because the author made a mistake in submitting. Again, when I ran Dandelion, I ran this literary journal, it was published two to three issues per year. Okay, two to three issues per year. And I regularly, regularly reviewed submissions like this. Um, I've got a weekly column uh, I think that you should publish in your magazine. Regardless of quality, of course, I rejected them. I'm not going to publish a weekly column in a magazine that publishes two to three times a year. It's ridiculous. Um, did that rejection that I gave this authors indicate anything at all about how good their column was or the quality of their writing or anything like that? No, of course not. Uh, the good work is rejected for a million good reasons. Once, uh, the editor of a magazine contacted me as a writer now. I'm a writer writing. This editor was a fan of mine. She contacted me. She said she's a big fan of my work. She begged me to submit something to her magazine, which paid very little. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, only published in high-paying magazines, but I'm just saying she's begging me to like submit to her magazine. She's kind of apologizing they can't pay too much. So I'm like, well, that's fine, you know, whatever. I sent her something. Then she sent me a form rejection, a form rejection after requesting uh, work for me. Uh, handwritten across the form rejection, she had scrawled a note apologizing to me and explaining she loved the story I sent her, utterly, completely loved it, but everyone else at the magazine hated it. And they voted her down. Even though she was the section editor, she was the main editor, you know, in charge of accepting stories, but she got voted down by people who, who weren't in charge of accepting stories. At a large publisher, um, a brilliant manuscript, I'm not saying my stuff was brilliant, but like, just to go to a different example, at a large publisher, a brilliant manuscript might be selected for publication by an editor, but then vetoed by a marketing department especially if it's original or unique. If it's original and unique enough, they can't find comparable titles. They can't judge as far as possible marketability. You know, in some ways, it would be unprofessional of them to accept it, at least at least from a marketing perspective. Um, again, especially a large publisher, you don't just have one person in isolation making all these decisions. That's a real fallacy that people have. There are millions of good reasons that good work is rejected. It's a normal thing. So it's meaningless to say, well, how many people... Uh, how many examples are there of like really good work being rejected? Uh, numerous rejections indicate nothing about the quality of manuscript, nor about the quality of the rejecting editor's judgment. Numerous rejections is in no way unusual or remarkable. It doesn't even indicate the system is broken. It actually indicates the system's working just fine. Um, it's just that people are submitting wrong. Uh, so yes, almost every great and successful novel has met with numerous rejections, but. Let's just kind of be a little more um, generous. Maybe the real question that the writer is asking, the real question he's asking is this. How many great, brilliant, 
eventually successful novels were rejected by an incredibly large number of times by a host of editors and publishers, each one overlooking its brilliance? The answer is very, very few. This almost never happens. When it does happen, you hear about it forever because it is unusual. It is so unusual. It happens so little that it is newsworthy when it does happen. It all reminds me of something that uh, Robert McKee wrote once in, in his book Story. Uh, Robert McKee writes this, quote, Despite a half billion dollars and the exhaustive efforts of development personnel, Hollywood cannot find better material than it produces. The hard-to-believe truth is that what we see on screen each year is a reasonable reflection of the best writing of the last few years. Many screenwriters, however, cannot face this downtown fact and live in the exurbs of illusions, convinced that Hollywood is blind to their talent. With rare exceptions, unrecognized genius is a myth. First-rate screenplays are at least options, optioned if not made." End quote. Now I just want to go on record as saying McKee is correct. What he says applies to publishing as well. What is actually more common than a great book being rejected is a not great book that should be rejected being accepted and published. If you don't believe me, walk into a bookstore. Look around. How many of those books should not have been published? Take a look and ask yourself. Read a few pages. You'll see real quick. Um, there's no, uh, you know, there's no way that these excellent books are getting rejected. They're just not. They're not out there, or they're being somehow improperly submitted. Why are editors called professionals even when they reject brilliant work? Here's the other part of his little section of that question. This complaint uh, is of a piece with the earlier complaint about editorial incompetence. Now, I took that apart a little bit up there, but let me offer a very, very short, very simple answer to this question here by asking another question. What's more likely? What's more likely in this scenario that you're facing constant rejections? Hundreds of editors are incompetent or you are incompetent? Now, in truth, that's an either-or fallacy. Neither of them is necessarily true. We shouldn't assume incompetence on either side because, as I said, there's many good reasons to reject good work. So you are not necessarily incompetent and your work's not necessarily bad if it's getting rejected. Um, but uh, let's say that we know for a fact there's some scenario where incompetence is a factor. Again, in that scenario, who's most likely to be incompetent? Hundreds of people or the person getting rejected? Um, you know, do the math. You know the answer to that question. Let's look at another part of the question, the comment that ex-marathon runner is, you know, asking. Quote, how is a newbie supposed to choose the correct format? Here we come back to format. How is a newbie supposed to choose the correct format of a novel manuscript when so many people who are published authors contradict each other? From the correct type to font to positioning of details on title page, one can find different suggestions, end quote. Now, I'm going to ask for a very simple, very direct answer to this question, and then I'm going to kind of step through that a little bit. So again, the answer is really simple. Like everything else in life, you stop listening to idiots chattering about nonsense they don't understand. 
Instead, you go and buy a book. Now, as I said at the start of this uh, podcast, I recommend a book called Formatting and Submitting Your Manuscript by Chuck Sambicio, Sambicino and the editors of Writer's Digest Books. That's the book I recommend. It's a book I'm holding in my hand as I say these words. I'm going to flip it there. You can hear it flipping. Hilariously, so that's the answer to the question. Just to come back to the concrete question that occasions all this uh, bitter commentary. He wants to know how to format a manuscript. How do I know how to format a manuscript properly when everyone says different things? Well, read that book. Hilariously, this book I just mentioned that I waved in front of you and you heard flipping in the breeze, this is the exact book being discussed in the post above the comment. This is why I say this writer will never succeed. The actual practical answer to his question is directly above his comment. His question has literally, in front of his face, already been answered by an industry professional before he even asked it. But he cannot see that fact. He is literally looking at the answer, and he cannot see it. He will never last. And it's easy to say that, and for me to kind of, you know, you know, kind of sneer a little bit. But this is... I mean, I've been in that position myself. Um, many people are in these sorts of positions. You have the answer just staring in your face and you can't see it because you're blind in some way. And what's blinding you is a mindset issue. It's like if this, if I walked up to you and said, oh, hey, hi, uh, I'm a professional food reviewer. Oh, and just in case you were wondering, uh, I just to point this out, there are amazing burgers right over there, right across the street at Burger Factory, that place over there that has massive neon signs that advertising the best burgers of all time. If I said that to you and you go, well, how is anyone supposed to know where to get good burgers in this city? It's a conspiracy to hide the good burger places from the little guys. It's really not different from that. <laughs> and you know what? I, again, I've been there. I've said things like this. Um, I deserved vitriol, like just like old marathon runner deserves. He deserves an answer to this question, but he's not going to be of use to him. You know, if you said that to me in response to my little burger uh, advice, I would know immediately that no one can help you. And you would never realize your dream. You would never finally eat a good burger because you don't know how to listen. And you're just fixated on your paranoid delusions for whatever reasons. Um, and that's just how it is. Sometimes people are in that headspace. I mean, I've been there, like I say. Uh, it takes a while to get out of it. And the first step is to kind of recognize uh, that you're standing in your own way in a sense. But here's the more complex answer, okay? There is a more complex answer to the formatting question. Fundamentally, there's no such thing as standard manuscript format. Every publisher is its own entity. They do not collude, even when they should. <laughs> they don't, despite delusions of would-be authors. Uh, even publishers owned by the same conglomerate often don't communicate. You know, There's been historical uh, examples of different branches of the same company bidding against one another and driving manuscripts prices through the roof. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, there's so much less sense and logic in publishing than uh, you know people outside the industry believe. At the same time, though, there's no real... I mean, there's a thing we call a standard manuscript format, but there really isn't a standard manuscript format. Uh, there's a series of conventions, though, that have developed and that most editors will recognize. Now, here's the trick of it all. If you know what you are doing, 
then you could use your own format that suits you without worrying about how well it conforms to the industry standards because they don't truly exist. You will know what to do and you will know what not to do. You'll know what's important and you'll know what's not important. That's if you know what you're doing. If you do not know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're doing, then just buy this book and do what it says. <laughs> like just literally buy the book and do what it says. It's not the only way to format a manuscript. Again, uh, if you slightly you know, go off it, it's not gonna matter. It's not the only way to form a manuscript, but it's a good way and it will be recognized as a professional way. What do most writers do instead? Well, they format things randomly however they feel like they should. Now, to someone who does know what they're doing, it's immediately, and I'm gonna say this again, immediately apparent to the, these writers do not know what they are doing. Think about anything where you're an expert and then somebody who doesn't really know anything about it comes in and tries and you're watching them. Uh, if you know what you're doing, it's immediately apparent who else also knows what they're doing, right? If you don't know what you're doing, look, just buy a book and trust the expert. What's your other option? Your only other option is to become an expert yourself or do everything wrong without realizing it. Our culture is diseased by a skepticism of experts. Uh, while you should sometimes be healthily skeptical of experts, in most cases you shouldn't. You should just pay attention. Even if you are going to be skeptical, you got to pay attention first. You can always ask other experts. You can do your own research. You can make your own informed choices. But first, you, you can develop your own expertise. But why bother? Like, this is the thing. You should trust experts until you become an expert yourself. Even if the expert is wrong, mostly they are more right than the non-expert. So if you're confronted with a problem, you have to ask yourself, do I want to become an expert in solving this problem? Or do I just want to trust an expert's already existing solution and adopt that as my own solution? Now, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, then I recommend you become an expert in cancer treatments, right? Uh, you, then you can talk to your doctors intelligently. You can assess what they say. You don't have to do everything they say necessarily. You can make your own informed decisions. You might go up against the experts in certain scenarios or certain examples. Uh, there's a lot of reasons in that kind of scenario, like a life and death scenario especially, um, for you to really develop your own expertise and not necessarily follow everything everyone's going to say. Um, although you may want to do that depending on the situation. But if we're talking manuscript format, like who cares? <laughs> Just buy a book for 20 or 30 bucks and do what it says. Move on with life. You know, wh why, get, why get wrapped up in working about worrying about this stuff it doesn't matter just buy a book and do it look i learned to do it like i sunk the time in i became an expert in things like manuscript format and i totally regret it i completely wasted my time becoming an expert on this subject i should have just bought this book i bought it anyway eventually i was like you know what instead of remembering this stuff i'm just gonna buy a book and then if i forget it i can look at the book again it's literally not worth your time. This is one of those weird, manuscript format is one of those weird things where I see a lot of different examples of it in writing. And I don't think it's just writers, but anything you've got like an industry where there's an inside and outside, there's certain like smaller things, like professional aspects, let's call them, where people just want to obsess about it and they want to question it and they're very, you know, worked up about it. 
and they should just like forget about it like yes you should format your manuscripts certain types of ways um, do you need to learn it all no just go buy a book and do it uh, why do you need uh, to worry about that stuff like worry about learning how to write description or something not how to format description just buy a book and copy it you don't have to be original in that formatting right so in some ways bad idea if you're original in it but i see so many writers like they just won't bother to learn and i mean you know and and, and i don't mean like take the time to really sink in and learn it was like they won't even bother to like copy things correctly like <laughs> I'll, I'll give writers i do this all the time in my classes in uh not creative writing classes as much because usually those students are a bit more motivated but a lot of times in like my essay classes where i'm like, trying to teach like mla format or something i like hand them a copy of something in mla format and i'll say just copy this just do exactly what this is make your paper look exactly like this and they won't even try they'll center everything they'll put a title cover page like they just aren't paying attention and if you're not paying attention you can't learn anything um and if you're not interested in learning things then fine like why don't you just be lazy and copy what somebody else is doing uh, somebody who knows what they're doing instead of like trying to reinvent the wheel and ask 100 questions and spend 30 40 hours a week trying to you know study manuscript format now here's the last comment or last part of this um part of this comment quote above all we are exhorted not to look like amateurs what a joke that is end quote now here's the real joke you can look like an amateur you can look at like an amateur all you want it will not matter to your career really uh, not necessarily in fact many professional authors put a lot of time and energy into looking like amateurs they're trying to convince you that they are amateurs they're trying to convince you to believe in their raw talent that's their career move they want you to think they're geniuses they try to make you feel like they don't really know what they're doing they just have a gift they're stumbling along they accidentally happen upon success they're the chosen ones they've been touched by god you can look like an amateur all you want what you can't do is be an amateur those authors who are just magically inspired and they just randomly turn out works of brilliance all those non-professional amateur artists they have bank accounts they have agents they have publishers they have schedules they act like amateurs uh, in public because they like the act they are actually professionals now i'm not a genius i wasn't touched by the divine i just put in work i'm not interested in misleading people about writing because i think the myths about writing do everyone a disservice i prefer to be a professional and to also act like a professional hamlet uh, says i know not seems by which he means that he doesn't even know how to pretend and to be something other than he is which of course ironically is his plan later in the play and it doesn't particularly go well for him uh, you can do whatever you want but if you want to publish like a professional you have to become a professional whatever attitude you choose to adopt publicly and becoming a professional good news at least for you is it's not as hard as it sounds in a sense like it is hard but it's not um, impossible it doesn't mean making a bunch of money with your writing it doesn't mean selling a lot of copies of your books it doesn't mean you know getting a contract it doesn't mean having some reward bestowed upon you by the public or by a publisher what it means is an attitude adjustment professionalism is a mindset and if you don't know what you <clears throat> um if you don't know how to break through 
into publishing, the first thing you need to realize is that there is no breaking through. You just have, like every time you do something, you have to break through again. Uh, there's no moment where you're inside and things will run smooth. It's always going to be hard. It's always going to be uh, a struggle. Uh, and you shouldn't begrudge the struggle. You should, you know, you can be frustrated by aspects of it, but you should fundamentally um, love what you can in the struggle. And then the rest of it, just stop, just ignore it as much as you can. Just do the things you need to do and just forget about it. You know, pick up a book on manuscript formatting and just format your manuscript and get bitching about it. <laughs> like, that's the thing I don't understand about um, so many writers. The real answers to Old Marathon Runner's question can be found in two places. If you bought Stephen Pressfield's book, Turning Pro, it'll tell you all about uh, what is the difference between a professional and an amateur in terms of their mindset. If you buy Formatting and Submitting Your Manuscript by Chuck Sambucchino and the Writer's Digest books editors, it'll tell you all about manuscript formatting. There you go. All the answers to Old Marathon Runner's questions for less than 50 bucks. Less than 50 bucks, you have all the actual, real, practical, priceless answers to becoming a professional published author, assuming, of course, that you can produce publishable work. All the answers you could ever need, less than $50, his entire writing world would open up if he could read and listen. But most people can't. Most people can't pay attention. Most people can't listen because they have this block, this mental block in their head. The real writer's block is not you're unable to write something. The real writer's block is this mental idea in your head that you need X in order to break through. Um, it's just a, a lie. Most people will read those two books I just mentioned. A lot of people will order those books and read them and hold them in their hands. They're holding the actual now physical answers in their hands to what they need to do to become a professional writer. And then they'll wonder, where is the answers to the, my question? They'll be holding the answers in their hands. They'll wonder, where could the questions be answered? The problem is not that the writing world is confusing. The problem is that they do not know how to listen. They do not know how to pay attention. They don't want help. They want excuses. They want reasons why they haven't succeeded. They don't actually want to succeed. Now, I know this all sounds harsh. and <laughs> I sound very amped up. You know, I'm uh, running on very little sleep and a lot of coffee at the moment. But, uh, you know, sometimes people just need some tough love. I hope that uh, it doesn't seem too harsh. Old Marathon Runner, if you're out there, um, I hope it helps. I hope it helps. You know, I'm not trying to be mean. Um, but Frank, frankly, literally, literally, the answers to your questions directly above your comment. Thanks for listening. Uh, keep writing the wrong way, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah.